This is the kind of thing where, man, they're racing out of town. And Lot, he's got to start saying, come on, girls. We got to go. Yeah, I can see it. It's falling now. Come on. Honey, come on. Come on. I want to stay here. I don't want this place to be devastated. I want to stay right here. She was consumed with yesterday. Now, remember Lot's wife, and they would have understood. Oh, yeah. She looked back. She remained in the past. This is your moment. This is your moment in time. This is your moment. Experience God's love and God's peace with us. See what God is doing for your neighbors at Crosspoint. Be blessed with today's broadcast. Let's read these scriptures. Uh, Luke 17, I want to read, and then in Luke 19. So Luke 17, it says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven, and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house, of course, back then the housetop was a livable space. We wouldn't live on top of our house nowadays. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. In other words, don't take time to pack your stuff up. When the Lord comes, you don't have any time to waste. Just get going. And then in verse 32, it's next to the shortest verse in the Bible. Remember Lot's wife. Does anybody know what Lot's wife is? Now, according to Jewish history, it's not in our Bible. There's different names. Edo is one of them. There's a couple others that they all come from the same original word there. But as far as our, our Bible is concerned, we don't know. So Jesus is saying, remember this unnamed woman. And you would think he would have said, remember Eve the mother of all humanity. Remember Sarah, the mother of Isaac, the covenant person, uh, the covenant one. And remember Mary. Remember my mom. You'd think he would have said, remember mom. You know, Mary. But he said, remember Lot's wife. So, let's go back to that. Genesis 19, 17, and it says, and I'll get into context here in a minute, but it says, as they, these angels, brought them, that's Lot and his wife and two of his daughters out, one said, one of the angels said, escape for your life, don't look back. I wanted this to be just a simple message. As a matter of fact, I had... 
a pretty cool illustration, and I was about ready to come out, and the Lord said, take that off. I'm like, come on. This, you know, sometimes you like, you know, Michael, you're like, man, I've, I've done something here. And the Lord's like, mm-mm, get it out. So maybe I'll use that some other time. So I wanted this just to be kind of simple, kind of straightforward, and just, just title this Repent. Now, I grew up in a Southern Missionary Baptist church. That would have went over well. Salvation. Repent. You know, the, um, sanctification. There's a, there's a few terms that's fine, but, but there, there's this emotional connotation when we hear that word nowadays. Repent. And if you're a lifer, if you're a lifetime church goer, you may hear the word repent, and you might instantly check out. Some of you's probably already pulled up a game on your phone. I've repented. Been born, since, born again since Jesus was a baby. I know all about repentance. I, I, this message is not for me. That's okay. This message is for some of you going, it's for them. They need to repent. You know, them. They need to. <laughs> but some of you, if, if you're new to church or you're new again, maybe you've been out of church for a while and and you're getting back in and, and really, really seeking the Lord, and you may be thinking, you know, I understand we need to learn about these things. I know what repentance is, but you know, I'm just not ready for the repent and fire and brimstone and going to hell. I want to live my best life now. I just teach me how my life can be better now. And I'm with you. I want to, I want to know how I can live a best life. I want my life to be better. Don't we all wish our life was just a little bit better? better than it is right now. There's things we wish would come to pass in our life, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not making fun of your best life now at all, but if we miss the word repentance, if, if we miss the true understanding of the word repentance, if we, if we miss the powerful importance of the execution of the word repentance, then, then we're missing something incredible in our life. It's more than just a part of salvation. Repentance is power in the word, in the mouth of the speaker. And the reason it, it turns a deaf ear is because so often we've been taught incorrectly about repentance. And we've heard our entire lives that Repentance is asking God for forgiveness. And I know you that a little deeper in, you know that it's more than that. But most of us, we believe that, well, if I repent, that means I'm asking God to forgive me. And, and, and then I can ask him to save me. And if, if you're a little deeper Christian, hopefully by now you've heard that repentance means to change your mind. To change your direction. But there again, we stop a little short. Because it's, it's not just changing a mind. It's not just going a different direction. I mean, it's, yes, that's what it is. But, but this, this language that the Scriptures are written in has, is so rich and it has so much more meaning. It would be like, and, and, and some of you guys, if you're like me, you can appreciate this. And you're, you're watching a movie and, and there's a car chase about to come on. And, and you see that guy reach down in that hot rod car and he's about to touch that bottle. And what's on the side of that bottle? It's nitrous. 
And he's fixing to push that button for nitrous. And it'd be like us just saying, well, just hit the fuel. What do you mean hit the fuel? My car's got fuel. Well, that, that bottle there, touch the bottle, that button on the bottle, it's fuel. <laughs> it's not fuel. It's, yes, it's fuel, but it's nitrous. It's super fuel. I mean, it, it turns your car into a hot rod. And so that's what we're talking about here. Yes, it's changing your mind, but it's so much more powerful than just changing your mind. There's a whole lot to this. This is a supernatural, spiritual fuel that will ignite your life if you understand the true meaning of how this plays out in your life. It's more than just a, 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 a something you say or do at the moment of salvation. Repentance should be your lifestyle. It should be something when you get up in the morning or you go to bed at night and you evaluate your day or maybe it's a week or a month and you look back. Maybe it's once a year in January and you're looking back over your life and you realize you've kind of taken a wrong path. You've veered off somewhere along the way and, and you realize I need to change course. I need to change my mind. I need to repent. And repentance changes things. It, repentance is a, it's a law. It's a spiritual law, if you will. And I may be going too far with that, but I just want you to understand the power of what repentance means in your life. Repentance is turning from yesterday's path. Repentance is, is turning from yesterday's habits, yesterday's doubt, into God's path. And into God's decisions. And it usually don't make sense at the time. Because usually a full, complete trust in what God is calling you to do makes no sense. And that's why we get stuck in the past because we know the past. We know what it offers. And we can pitch a tent in the past and it may not get us anywhere, but at least we have certainty. We know what's going to blow up. We know it's going to fail. But trust in God, we don't have that, that certainty of what we can see. We should have the certainty in God, but we don't have certainty of the path, of the steps. And if a lot of us knew at this point what we had to go through to get here, we might not have chosen the path that we're on. Isaiah 43 says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things are whole of, of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And he says, I will make a way. God told Isaiah to prophesy. Remember not the former things. Quit hanging out in everything that was yesterday. He says, I'm doing something new here. It's interesting, as I listened to that video last night, that's a lot of what was coming out last night was, I'm doing something new here. There's a new thing taking place. But, but the caution is, do you not perceive it? In other words, the devil's greatest tactic is to distract you when God is something, something incredible. Do you not perceive it? Well, how could you not perceive something God's doing? I'll tell on me. 
Oh, that's good, yeah. That's good. We're so distracted by entertainment, and we're overwhelmed with entertainment. I mean, you know that they're trying to outlaw. Congress is trying to outlaw TikTok in America. That's pretty sad when America is so consumed with an app that Congress has to get involved, and even as corrupt as they are or may be or may not be, they're the ones that has to say, not in our house. They're the ones that are saying, no, 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 this is going to destroy America. They're taking your data, and China will use it against you. This is not a political speech. But it's a distraction. I've said before, you know, in China, it's a different TikTok in China, when you watch TikTok, you're only allowed to be on TikTok for an hour a day. And when you watch TikTok, you're watching STEM product. You're watching uh, science. You're watching technology. You're watching things that will grow you, that will make you a better asset to China. So it's intentional that TikTok has become the number one app, video app, in America. It is distracting. It has our, our, well, it's got a lot of people, but especially our young people are distracted. That's funny, that's funny, that's funny. And it's, it's, it's like a drug. That's incredible. It's like you just can't get enough of it. And three hours later, you're sweating and your finger's hurting and they're wanting to do surgery on your finger. I'll just use the other one. Before you know it, we'll use our toes. It's distracting. Not to repeat myself, but, you know, in China, the number one aspiration is to be an engineer or to be an astronaut. These are surveys. In America, it's to be a YouTube influencer. That's how we've been distracted as a culture. That's how we're hanging out and we're stuck in places that we don't know how to get out of because we've been distracted. And God says, I'm doing a new thing, but you're not going to perceive it. Some of you will. ABC Church over here, they're going to perceive it because they're te uh, teaching the truth. They're telling you, put it down, balance it out. You want to watch TikTok? Watch TikTok. Don't watch TikTok all day. It's fun to say it, TikTok. You notice I put a little oomph on that TikTok. <laughs> knickknack. That's the other one me and Mono like saying, knickknack. Somebody says knickknack around us, and we're 20 minutes. You don't want to be around us. We're just knickknack. It's a distraction. And it's not just technology. There's other things that distract us. That's why he says don't hang out in the past. Listen, everybody in this building this morning, let's just be real, we've all been offended by somebody in church somewhere along the way. Everybody, myself included. I mean, the church is supposed to be this place, this safe place, where we don't get offended. It's supposed to be a place where we go and grow. There's just this one fault with the church. Made up of humans. And humans hurt humans. Humans are hurt. They go to church. And they hurt other people at church. And we're distracted. 
There's some people sitting at home this morning saying, I will never go back to Cross Point. I don't know this for sure. I'm just saying, using an example. I will never go back to Cross Point Church. They hurt me. Instead of saying, Pastor, I'm offended. Can we meet? Michelle's got up there and she was singing a song. I know she was singing about me. And I'm very offended. But we don't do that as a culture because we don't like confrontation. So we either go somewhere else. More than likely, we won't go anywhere. We get offended and we get hurt. I was offended. I was hurt. And I got called out. I got called out the worst way. This has been years ago. I got called out by the Spirit. I would rather my overseer call me out than the Spirit of God call me out. You know what I'm saying? And during that church service, during a revival, I was at that church. And I literally had to repent at that moment. Because what I was saying really wasn't true. I wasn't lying but I was embellishing my pain and how I'd been treated. And, 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 and I'm a mature uh, Christian. I'm in church. I didn't stop going to church. But how many of us stopped going to church? How many people do you know right now that's not going to church because of a distraction? Because God said, stop dwelling in the past. We've got to learn to forgive. We've got to learn to move on. And if you can't, at least move on somewhere else where you can get involved and, and, and work out your forgiveness. The Bible said work out your salvation daily. Listen, I've had people in my life that it took a long time to forgive. And I'm sorry, I'm just being upfront with you. I know we're supposed to forgive just like that. I'm just being real. But I have now. But it took a minute. And, and you know why? Joyce, you know why I couldn't forgive? Because I'd just be driving down the road. Song come on, and something hit me. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Oh, that was eight years ago. I cannot, and I'll play the whole conversation in my head. And I'm, before you know it, I'm at the stoplight, nobody in there, and I'm, <laughs> I told you. I'm talking, I'm screaming, I'm upset. Because I'm in the former things. And who knows what could have taken place at that stoplight when the Spirit of God may be trying to communicate to me, but I'm stuck in the former thing, and God said, I'm about to do something new. Wake up! Get out of the former things. Get out of these distractions. And it's not always hurt. Sometimes it's something incredible going on in your life, an incredible blessing that's happened to you. And suddenly, like, hey... Can't go to church today. Got a new airplane. You know, I don't know. You get what I'm saying. It's a distraction. Whatever can get you distracted. Whatever can get you to miss what God's about to do. He says, now it springs forth. He said, don't you perceive it? He says, I will make a way. I stopped it there because he says, I'll make a way in the desert. And I don't want us to get lost and we don't live in a desert. But the point is... I'll make a way in a place where you can't make a way. He was telling them, if you're in the desert and there's no water around, you can't go from point A to where you want to go. Point B, you will die. But I'll make a way. Do you not perceive it? 
Well, I can't, I've, I, all I want to do is start a business. That's all I've ever thought about my whole life is start a business. And, and this happened, that's happened, this happened, and that's happened, and now I'm bankrupt. And God said, no, 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 no. Don't dwell out in things of the past. He said, I will make a way. Trust me. Get in my will. Who do you think put the desire in your heart to start a business? I will make a way. Quit hanging out. Quit speaking to your past and agreeing with what will never happen. I'll make a way, he said. Acts 3.19. I love this scripture. I get excited. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That word refreshing in the Greek is anapsuxis. You know what that word means? Revival. Repent so that revival can come in your life. You see, repent is more than just, oh, Lord, I've missed up. God forgive. No, no, no. Repent is, you know what, God? I hate what I've been doing. I'm done with it. I know it's not true. I hate this. I can't believe I've done it again. That's it. That's it. I'm done. God, this is it for me. July the 3rd. Say the 3rd. Whatever it is. July. I heard about three different things. (laughs) January the 8th. That's it. I'm drawing the line here. This is it for me. I'm repenting. That's repentance. When you absolutely, when you, not someone, when you hate something, some action that you've been up to, that you know is not the will of God for your life. It may be a blatant sin, and it could just be that you're not writing the devotional that God told you to write. It could mean that God told you to pick up a guitar eight years ago because he said, I'm gonna, I want to teach you how to play the guitar. I'm going to give you favor. It won't take you as long as it took everybody else. And you're going to play that guitar. You're going to write songs. You're going to be on stage leading praise and worship or participating in praise and worship. And your testimony, the things that you've been through, and all those people sit out there and say, well, I know that guy. I know what they've been through. And there they are, worshiping God. They don't even know. They can't even read a note. It could be that. Something that you're up to that is up to no good. So, is not doing what God told you to do a sin? Glory, I don't know what's going on here. Hallelujah. Repent, repent, repent. So that times of revival may come upon you. It's interesting that it doesn't say repent so that God will forgive you and you will be saved, period. Next verse. Repent. Repent. So that it allows the way through God's law, 
He can't violate it if you're operating in a function that's against his will. So when you repent, now you're back in his will. You're not violating God's will. Now, he says, now. Oh, now I can work in your life. Now I can refresh you. Now I can make you new. Now I can change you. It's freeing. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and be sober, set your hope on what lies ahead. In other words, 1 Peter says, get ready. That's what it says. You're not ready. Get ready. Prepare your minds and be sober. Set your hope on what lies ahead. Set your hope on what lies ahead. In other words, prepare your mind and get ready and expect what's about to come your way. Expect revival. How can I even think about revival? I'm sick. I, I don't have a job. I'm, I'm, I'm this and that, and everybody's hurt me, and, and I can't stand people, and they can't stand me. How is revival coming my way? Man, I am hung up here. Oh, there we go. Golly. This is part of the distraction. This is part of the distraction. The distraction is to convince you that yesterday, I mean, it wasn't great, but it was pretty good. There was some good stuff. But that's as good as it's going to get for you. So embellishing yesterday. Every time I, I, I tell the story of my greatest mile time in track, it gets a second or two better. Mm-hmm. Y'all know, you tell stories, especially us men. I don't think women do that quite as much, but men... When the gray comes in and we're looking in that mirror, the stories get a lot better. I wasn't just prom king. I was, I mean, they knew me all throughout Western United States. They knew who I was. I, yeah. No, they didn't. You're lying. <laughs> Calm down, Marks. So, in this chapter that we're reading out of, that we began with in Luke, before we're going to get into a little bit of history here. <clears throat> But Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been doing parables and healing and things like that. And he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And while he's teaching about the now, the kingdom of God, he begins to prophesy about what's going to take place in end times. But then he uses the past as an illustration. So we've got the past, we've got the present, we got the future all taking place here. And he begins to describe this fire and this brimstone and all the incredible carnage that we've all heard of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, as it actually is said. And how four out of these five cities, Sodom was, was kind of like a metropolis. Sodom was ahead of its time. It was an incredible, beautiful place. And there were... It was kind of the, the city center, the, the government seat of uh, five different cities. And, and so he's talking about Sodom. He's talking about this incredible, beautiful place, this carnage that took place on a blessed place. But he says, 
remember Lot's wife. And it doesn't go into detail. And here's where some of the disconnect happens with us. Because when he's talking to the audience that he's talking to, and he says, remember Lot's wife. Nothing else need be said. They know exactly what he's talking about. Oh, remember Lot? Yeah, I know. I know the story. I know everything's been handed down to me over, over time. And, 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 but we don't understand because we don't get all the details. Man, I'm going to throw this thing in a minute. So, we really have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, we can speculate based on just a little bit of Scripture that we have, but there's a lot more said here. There's a lot more that, that needs to be understand, understood here because as far as we know, Lot's wife is just a pillar of salt that's supposed to still be standing even today. But that makes no sense to us. But since every time of whatever event it may have been, they would pass down this oral tradition of history. And it was an art form. And it was considered, especially for the Jewish people, it was considered a divine responsibility to pass down this oral history of their, of their, their, their family, their forefathers. And, and they would include the good and the bad. You know, we know that Egypt and other places, they would take out the bad, and, they, and we, they really had to dig to discover the bad things about the community. But not so with Israel. Israel would, would include the good and the bad. So we, we know a lot about what's taking place, but we can look at, because of their consistency with their tradition, we can look at other historical writings and we can kind of fill in the gaps. There's other books out there. There's other writings out there that, although we don't consider them divine, we can fill in some of the, at least some of the cultural uh, places that we don't pick in here, that we don't get here. So let's go back. And I'm going to go really quickly Because I want to <clears throat> give you a lot of groundwork to say a simple thing. And sometimes if we say a simple thing, we lose the effect. So I want to give you some quick groundwork here. In Genesis, I'm going to start in Genesis 8. So this will be a good study for you this week to read uh, Genesis chapter 8 through uh, 19. I'm not reading all that, but... In Genesis 8, 9, and 10, this is where God has just flooded the earth, and Noah and his family is off the ark. They're back on dry ground, and the Bible begins to describe their descendants. And, and you know, you, you see those things, and so-and-so begot this person, they begot this person, and we think, man, I'm skipping over that. But really, it's important when we look at that, this genealogy tells us a whole lot about what's going on in history. All right, so in Genesis 11, I told you I was going fast. Several generations have passed since the flood, and the world's wicked again. They're back to doing things their own way, and, 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 and the Tower of Babel is built in 11. It's destroyed in 11. And then later, in that same chapter, again, generations down the road, Abraham, which Abram at the time, and his two brothers are born. And one of the brothers has a son named Lot. Very important. This is where our story is really starting to pick up. So one of the brothers has a son named Lot, but that brother died. And so Lot moves in 
with Abraham's uh, grandfather. Well, then the grandfather died, and so he moves in with Abraham. So now Abram is the caretaker of Lot. And at this point, really don't believe that Lot's married and has a, has a family. So then in, in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham at age 75 and his wife out of the land of Haran into the land of Canaan. We know that's the promised land. And so he's telling him you need to get out of this idol-worshiping region and go to the region, which is an idol-worshiping region, but go to this region because God promised this will be the promised land. It's where Israel is today, portions of it. And so that's in Genesis 12. Well, Lot goes with them. In Genesis 13, both Abraham and Lot at this point now have incredible herds. They're, they're very wealthy at this point. Even Lot, although he, his wealth come off of Abram, he's still, he's very wealthy. And, and their herdsmen begin to argue with one another over grazing rights. Not to mention there's the, the homeland people there. They have their own uh, cattle and, and, and sheep and goats and what have you. They're all there. So they're all fighting over this land. And so Abram tells him in 13, he says, all right, so here's what we're going to do. So you and I don't argue. We're going to split ways, but I'm going to give you the choice. You can go wherever you want to go. And so Lot decides to head east because he knows east is where the Jordan is, and he knows where Sodom is. All those regions that are being watered by the Jordan are extremely fertile regions. I mean, you can imagine most of this is, y'all have seen pictures in movies, most of this is a, is a pretty daring, uh, barren land. And so we know that if, 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 if he's going to pick a place, it's going to be the place. And it says, actually, in the Scriptures, it was as the garden of the Lord. Now, you can imagine how lush this must have been if the Bible tells us it was as the garden of the Lord. It's like the Garden of Eden. It was so beautiful. So it tells us that Lot, initially, he sets up his tent on the outskirts of Sodom. And eventually, we know he moves into a house in Sodom. But at this point, he's on the outskirts, and he's looking in, and he's watching this town. And it says in 1313, he says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So this, again, was an extremely rich land, and it, was, it had excess of wealth. And if, you, again, you read some of the other Jewish writings, you find out that, that everybody in this city was very wealthy. And, and if we read the book of Jasher, and you can have your own opinions about Jasher, whatever, or Yasher, however you want to pronounce it. If we read this, we find out some interesting details that lines up with what Ezekiel tells us. They hated outsiders, although they didn't hate Lot because Lot was wealthy. What they hated was poor folk. They hated you and me. They hated us. And you might think, well, they wouldn't have hated me. No. No, you had to be in the upper echelon of income, the upper, upper echelon of income for you to be accepted into Sodom. And they had this law. And it stated that if a poor person came to town, one of the residents would give them a silver piece. But the law was nobody could sell that person bread. Nobody could give them anything to eat. And they would starve to death. And when they starved to death, the resident would go get his silver piece back 
because, hey, we gave, you, we gave you money. You chose not to buy it anything with it, although they couldn't buy anything with it. Now, there is, again, this is not divine. This is not necessarily considered God's Word, but there is a story that, that one of Lot's, Lot's daughters, and most theologians believe that Lot had four daughters. He had two that were married and two that was betrothed. So one of Lot's daughters saw this guy who was very hungry. They was doing the plan as normal. He was about to starve to death, and so she sneaks him some bread. And after several days, the people are trying to figure out how is he still alive. So they set up a trap, and they watched him, and they noticed that Lot's daughter was feeding him. So they went to the judge in the town, and they took honey, poured it over Lot's wife, took a beehive, smashed it in front of her until she was stung to death. Whether that happened or not, all we know is that's what Jewish history tells us. If you go to Israel, that's the story they're telling in all faith to their children and their children's children. So these are stories that are still being passed down as truth to this day. They would take these strangers who would come into their town, and the king ordered that these beds be set up in the gateway. So these men would come in to sell whatever property they may have to sell, and six men would take the man, lay him on the bed, three at one end, three on the other, and they would stretch him, and they would continue to pull him as he screamed and yelled until he died. And that was just if he was longer than the bed. The rule was if he was shorter than the bed, they would close the bed up on him until he suffocated to death. They wanted the word to get out, you're not welcome here. If you're not extremely wealthy and you can't pay your way in here, if you're not a benefit to us, you're not welcome here. Now, real quick, let's go to Ezekiel. Again, you can make your own mind up whether this is true or not. We all know what we assume is the sin of Sodom. But Ezekiel tells us in chapter 16, Behold, this was the guilt of Sodom. She and her daughters, the, the other cities, had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. So the excess of Sodom led to their pride. This led to an increase in pleasure. If you talk to a drug addict, they'll tell you, I used to do so much drugs or smoke so much drug. Or an alcoholic would tell you, I used to drink this much, and it got to where it was of no effect. And so I had to do more, and I had to do more, and I had to continually increase. Well, that's what debauchery is. It continues the increase. And eventually, the perversion will get so bad that it, it shocks us. Can you imagine if... Ten years ago, we were transported to America today, just ten years ago. We would be shocked at what has taken place in a decade. Shocked. Because when the excess, the blessing of God, the thank you, God, for what you've done, we're one nation under God, when that becomes, well, we're not one nation under God, we're just one blessed 
place. We're just a city on a hill. We're not really a city on a hill. I did this. I built that. I've done all this. And then when God's gone and prayer's gone and the excess built in, well, I'm not getting that funny feeling anymore. So let's do something a little more perverse, a little deeper, a little worse. That's what's taking place. That's what's taking place in every civilization that has declined to its ruin that we have history over. That's what happened to Rome. That's what happened to uh, Egypt. That's what happened to a lot of these nations as they just continue more and more in their perversion. And in this particular case, homosexuality, grooming of children, sodomy of children, gender confusion. This is where he starts. You notice Ezekiel started with pride. Then they went to excess. Then they went to abomination. We get into the New Testament. That's the abomination that they're referring to. Now, let's move on in Genesis 14. There are four kings that joined forces to overthrow Sodom. There's a whole lot more to the story. We won't have time for it. And four of these sister cities to take them captive. So, so there's four of these kings. They overthrew Sodom and their sister cities, and, and they took them captive. They stole all their property, including Lot. So Abraham finds out, and if you can imagine, there's four kings, four militaries, and Abraham takes his 318 trained men, and he goes and defeats the four kings, gets back all their stuff, gets back uh, Lot and all of Lot's goods, and gives them all back. And they tried to give him, it was actually, he was owed that when you win a battle. It was all his, and he said, I'll take nothing from you, or you'll say that you are the one that made me wealthy. God's the one that made me wealthy. And he gave everything back. And so now... We're in Genesis 18. This is several years later after Abram has saved this entire city in the region. The Lord shows up to talk to Abraham in, in Genesis 18. Abraham's 99 years old at this point, and he tells him that within a year, he'll have a son. Isaac will be born. Will be born. Most of us know this story. But from that conversation, the Lord gets up and he talks to Holy Spirit, angels, whomever is in that circle of three. And he says, shall we tell Abram what we're about to do to Sodom? And they decide, well, since he's going to be a great nation, he may as well find out what we do to nations that turn against God. And so they told Abraham, hey, we're fixing to annihilate Sodom and Gomorrah and all the surrounding regions They're gone. And so Abraham goes into this negotiation with them. And he ends up with, well, if there's ten righteous people, hopefully you know the story. If there's ten righteous, would you spare the city? And the Lord says, yeah, if there's ten, I'll spare the city. I won't destroy it. The Bible says he goes back to his tent. So he's going to bed. He's like, well, that's great. Lot's saved. Everything's going to be fine. We're in good shape. But then in Genesis 19, it says, The angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of of Sodom. You can't miss how important that is. Lot was outside the city in his tent. Lot moved into the city. He's got his own home. And the gate of the city is where the leaders, the rulers, and the judges would reside. You were not allowed to sit at the gate unless you were one of those. Lot is now one of the leaders in this horrendous city. 
He's, one of, he's watching this debauchery. He grew up with Abraham, seeing Abraham's fairness, his kindness, the goodness of Jehovah God. And now he's sitting there watching Sodom and their debauchery, and he's part of the decision-making. And these angels come in. And what's interesting is Lot immediately recognizes that these two human men are angels. And he says, hey, come to my house. And you can just stay with me. And they're like, no, we're going to stay in the city square. That was normal when you go into a city. You could just sleep right there safely in the city square. And Lot was like, no, that ain't going to work. You have no idea where you're at. You got to go to my house. They finally, they go to his house. And it says, before they lay down to go to sleep, after they've eaten, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, these are married men with daughters, and there's a lot of history here about some practices they would do four times a year. They would go into this beautiful, long uh, strip where there were fountains, and they would have parties, and they would swap partners during this time, and, and it was just debauchery. It was horrible what took place here. And so now they find out, somehow they find out, there's strangers in the town. Well, we already found out what they do to strangers. They don't like strangers. They don't want people in the town. So this was not just an act of abomination. This was an act of violence. This is how they treated people that come into their town, to, to violate them to the worst degree. And it says, we, we, most of us, hopefully, you know the story there. So I wanna, I'm, I'm going to skip some of this. I want to read on. I know we're about out of time. It says, <clears throat> that Lot went out. Lot tried to tell the men, and, and, and we don't understand this, but Lot said, well, I've got my two daughters, my virgin daughters in here. Take them. I'll, I'll give them to you. We don't want them. We want these two men. And they're about to grab Lot, and the Bible tells us that the angels reached in, grabbed Lot, pulled him in, and struck the men blind. And it says, they, this is horrible, they groped all night until they were wore out trying to find the door. Even blind, they're still trying to get to these men. It's, now, what we think Lot did, it was horrible. But we do know that in ancient times, not necessarily in Israel, but in ancient times, remember, Lot's living in Sodom now, but women are property. And it was more important, because of the way the laws were, it was more important that you looked over your guests. You were responsible. If anything happened to your guests, you were responsible. You had to pay or you could lose your life. And because women are property, they try, he tried to put them out to protect himself and to protect these men. And, of course, the angel pulled him back in. Now, in Genesis 19, it says they brought him out. This is the angels. They're telling them. They're telling them to escape for your life. Do not look back. So we know that he said, do you have any family in this town? So Lot somehow goes to his, his son-in-law's to his daughters that are in town, if you're like some of the theologians that believe that way, there were 
There were married daughters in town when they tried to talk to them, and the Bible tells us that they thought that he was joking. They wouldn't believe him. So he comes back, and he's like, look, you're going to have to hurry up. You're going to have to get going. And, and it says that he hesitated. It's like he, he knew he needed to leave. He believed God was about to do this, but he just couldn't leave this moment. It was an incredible moment in his life. Wealthy, he had responsibility, he had respect, he had position. And what they're telling him is, is you're going to have to get your wife and your two daughters that are here and, and go to the hills because there will be nothing left. Can you imagine? Now, if you're a, like Lot and you're a multi-millionaire and you're living in this incredible land and, and you've got all these flocks and you've got businesses and you've got money, your furniture, you just bought a new flat screen, and, and you can't take anything. And the Bible says that the angel finally, one grabbed one by the hand, one grabbed the other by the hand, and they begin to pull them out of the town. And when they finally get to this point, and they brought them out, this is where they said, escape for your life, do not look back. And now, the next scripture, it says, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. But Lot's wife, and the next two words are important, behind him. It doesn't mean that, come on, honey, come on. Lot's wife, behind him, looked back. And it says she became a pillar of salt. Now, again, if we get into a little bit of, golly, if we get into a little bit of history here, Jewish history here, we find out that Lot's wife's not so kind. If you want to believe this, and it makes a little bit of sense, the history tells us that when Lot was about to prepare a meal for these two angels, that he tells his wife, go next door and get some salt. So she goes next door to get some salt. And she's angry. She don't want to do this. She, don't, she grew up in Sodom. And she, she was raised that you don't treat your guests well. You despise your guests. You kill them. They'll corrupt our town. They'll take our stuff. So she's angry that these two men are in her home. And she goes to her neighbors, and she's, she's telling Betty, she's like, well, I got these two guests here. I didn't invite them in. Lot invited them in. You know he didn't grow up here. He don't know our ways. I need a little bit of salt. She tells them what's going on. Now, their history tells us that they told the men of the town. That's how they discovered these men were at Lot's house. And she looked back, and she was turned to a pillar of salt. Why was she turned to a pillar of salt? Was that judgment? Because it was the salt that got her in this trouble? So she was turned into a pillar of salt? And reading this, here's what you need to understand when it, when it talks about, number one, when, when it says she's behind him, this is the kind of thing where, man, they're racing out of town. And Lot, he's got his daughter. He said, come on, girls. We got to go. Yeah, I can see it. It's falling now. Come on. Honey, come on. Come on. And she's back here going, I'll, I will be there in a minute. I'm Hold on. I told you I'll be there. Just hang on. And they're getting farther and farther and farther away. Come on, honey. But she looked. It doesn't mean she's like, 
Oh, look at the fire. I mean, we'd all look at the fire falling. She looked intently at what was happening because her way of life was over. There's, there's, they have, she has no idea what they're going to do tomorrow. And she's thinking, that's my home. My beautiful home. And I got daughters out there with their husbands. They're giving me grandchildren, and, and they're out here. I mean, it's my best friends right around me. That's my, that's my life. I want to stay here. I don't want this place to be devastated. I want to stay right here. That's what look back means. She was consumed with yesterday. She was consumed with what was. But what was was not God's will for her life. There was a greater plan. There was a, a, a bigger picture in place here. And now we can kind of understand why Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. It wasn't that she's a five-foot statue pillar of salt. No, remember Lot's wife. And they would have understood. Oh, yeah. She looked back. She remained in the past. Because Jesus is trying to get across to them, you need to be diligent, you need to be prepared, you need to be sober-minded, because you will not know when I'm coming back. You will only know the signs of the seasons when I'm coming back. You don't have time to guess. You don't have time to play around. When I come back, it'll be just like this. One will be in the bed, and one will be gone. And they'll look over, and they'll think, well, what happened to Mary? What happened to John? Honey, you in the other room? Well, the kids are gone. It'll, take, it'll be just like that. And we're called to not live in what was, but to expect what is about to take place. And God's saying, do you not perceive it? I'm doing a new thing. Because I don't think God's coming back tonight. I don't think he's coming back in the morning. I think God's going to do a new thing first. I think God's going to do an incredible new thing first. I think we talk about revival, and I know we have talked about this now. We've heard it, well, some of us heard it all of our life, but I mean in a more specific, in a more... Um, apostolic way we've heard about revival and we've done our research and we've done our study we understand that there's nothing left to come to pass Israel's a nation Jerusalem is a city uh, uh, is the uh, city center there's nothing left not only is it from the Six-Day War, but when Trump was in office and he declared that Jerusalem was the capital, that stopped the clock of prophecy. It's over. Now what's left is the return. And you can believe in pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib, 
But Jesus said, it will be as the days of Lot. What happened in the days of Lot? The righteous were poured out, pulled out, and the city was destroyed. So you can read into it however you want to read into it. I'm just going to read it as the way I interpret the Scriptures. As the righteous will be called away and the tribulation will come. And I'm not, I'm not setting this up for an eschatological message here. I'm trying to get you prepared. I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to tell you. Stop. Stop living. Stop being stuck in yesterday. Stop being stuck in hurt. Stop being stuck in offense. I get it. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry it happened to you. But you can't live there. You're going to miss it. I'm not saying you're going to miss the, the calling away, but wouldn't you want to be a part of this great thing that God is about to do here that he's already started that will truly be on the increase? Wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strive toward the calling. I strive toward the goal of the high calling of Christ Jesus and God. Forgetting what is behind. You think about Paul. Paul was ruthless before he was converted. Paul had a past. Nobody in here, I hope nobody in here can say, well, I murdered Christians responsible for the death of many, many Christians or the imprisonment, the torture of Christians. And Paul's like, you know what? I ain't even hanging out there. I don't care what you think of me. I'm striving. I'm pressing on toward the mark of the high call of Christ Jesus. There is something that we have to do. And we can't hang out in yesterday or we're going to miss what God's about to do. Thanks for watching today's broadcast. If you were encouraged today or made a decision for Christ, let us know by visiting our website. But how many of us stopped going to church? How many people do you know right now that's not going to church because of a distraction? Because God said, stop dwelling in the past. We've got to learn to forgive. We've got to learn to move on. And if you can't, at least move on somewhere else where you can get involved and, and, and work out your forgiveness. The Bible said work out your salvation daily.